Welcome to the Salted Podcast, where we are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preference. In this episode, we discuss contemporary critical theory and its view on redemption. How do we fix both our individual brokenness and the brokenness of the world? Let's get salty. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Salted Podcast. My name is Yon. My name is Dan. And we are very happy that you are listening to us. Still the big anniversary of our 12th episode. The anniversary special. This is an anniversary special. Everyone knows if you get to 12 podcasts, you're destined for greatness. So thanks for joining us. And um, we are on part number four of our four-part series on contemporary critical theory and how we're outlining all the different variables of it and how really it stacks up as a counterfeit worldview to um, the gospel biblical lens that we are trying to view the world through. And it's probably worth repeating again, Yon, right at the beginning, that what the critical theorists are trying to accomplish is to bring healing, to bring relief, and to bring liberty, right, freedom, to people who have been suffering. And in that, we share the same value. Yeah. We have the same mission. Yep. I think it's probably always a good place to start in. There is always a national, there seems to be a national whirlwind tornado around critical theory. And a lot of people are throwing hand grenades back and forth at each other. And I think we want to start from the place of saying, like you said, we want to assume some of the best for some of the people who maybe believe in this and they are actually potentially trying to solve right. some of the problems that we identify as yeah, well. And the people that you and I know and love in our church family wouldn't be subscribing or leaking, absorbing and leaking critical theory because they're trying to flip our um, worldview upside down. Right. They would be absorbing it and kind of leaking it out as a as what they have come to see or believe or kind of embrace as a potential solution to the kinds of suffering that all of us are alarmed by. Right. And that's kind of our job here at Salted Podcast is to translate yeah. it and see what is the actual lens in which these um, viewpoints and these worldviews are being viewed through and how does it compare um, to the gospel lens. Price, pr- precisely. Where does it fall short when we hold up the biblical worldview to it. And and maybe worth noting, too, that what we have been talking about in this series as contemporary critical theory is not critical race theory. Right. So how would you how would you make a distinction between the two, Young? Well, as we said, I think in our very first episode on this topic, mm-hmm. it's c- critical theory is such a um, it's a big, broad tent in which a lot of different um disciplines emerge out of and critical race theory is is one of the elements there's critical social justice theory there's critical um feminine theory there's critical queer gender studies so there's a whole different myriad of um critical theories and critical race theory happens to be the one in national prominence um because of um the last um, year of of racial turmoil um and so that's kind of the thing that gets the headlines but really there's an underlying critical theory um, foundation that informs all of these different disciplines, and that's what we're primarily talking about. So this is kind of the umbrella, or maybe the roots of it all. Correct. And yeah. then there's some symptomatic fruit or some branches that come out, right? Right. And um, I think it's again, it's 
it's important for us to recognize that what we're talking about in contemporary critical theory is pretty complex uh, multiple all kinds of there's there's really a lot of facets uh, right. a lot of moving parts and by no means are we going to grasp it um, none of it can be completely uh, comprehensively addressed here right and we don't want to in the same way we don't want people picking a verse from the old testament right. saying oh my goodness your yeah. god can't possibly love people we don't want to do the same thing uh, yes. for those we want to under we were seeking to understand right. and uh, and ultimately be winsome right we want to be winsome and say well the the, the gospel worldview actually is is not only better not only equally as good but better in terms of the picture it paints right. and um the, the the way it solves the problems that the critical theorists are trying to solve yeah yeah so and then uh at the end of this one you can um if you ever get caught on a desert island we're going to tell you what's the best genre of or i guess universe mm. entertainment universe whether it be star trek star wars marvel or lord of the rings which one is the best one that if you could only have one? Oh man um, I have a preference. I think I have a preference as well. So you're going to hear that. Hopefully you have a preference, dear listener. <laughs> they do. As well. They do. So, um, so let's jump into this thing. Let's. I mean, this specific episode is dealing with really one of the core elements of any worldview. And when we say worldview, when we're talking about contemporary critical theory, we're actually, the more we talk about it and the more we, especially in this episode, we're really going to see that it's a it's a pretty dogmatic, almost fundamentalist worldview that mm. is a, the equivalent of some of the some world religions that are currently pretty popular. Boy, that's a fascinating way to frame this, Yon, to say that it's fundamentalist. Yeah, it's a, and and you know when you think about it, you think, oh, these are, I mean, if you think of the the origins of people like Karl Marx and some of the Frankfurt School, and usually people who are um, opposed to any religion and who are opposed, they're not theists, obviously, they're atheists and um, have a pretty negative view on how the uh, a religion imposes oppression on people, um, but then when we get down to it, we realize well, it actually the worldview shares a lot of similarities with um, a dogmatic fundamentalist mm. worldview. So, so we're going to look at the, a key element in any kind of religious or worldview, and that's the the element of redemption. Mm. And is there redemption in the c- contemporary critical theorist worldview? Is there? They we spent a lot of time in the last couple episodes talking about all of the problems that are are being identified uh, primarily the idea that there's oppressors and there's a uh, people who are being oppressed and that everything is a, is a battle between those two um, groups of people and how levels of oppression uh, fluctuate. If you're in, in if you're uh, adhering to the, the, the hegemonic discourse. So you're part of the oppressed oppressor group. Um, there's a, there's that conflict and there's a seeking to justify to rectify that. Right. And to, to bring equality and equity. So the question then becomes, what does redemption look like in the contemporary critical theorist worldview? And, and how does that stack up to the redemption that we find in the Bible? Right. So obviously when we're talking about redemption, we are, there's some, something implied there. The implication is that uh, something's broke or separated or lost, right? And right. it needs to be redeemed. So there is in both worldviews, this idea that something is lost and needs to be redeemed, right? But there's three, really, there's three essential elements in any kind of um, worldview as it relates to redemption. The Christian worldview, of course, has this this idea of at the very beginning, there's an original sin. That's what's broken. Right. And 
therein lies our need for salvation. Right. Then there is individual absolution, which is personal redemption, right? How do we absolve ourselves by, from that thing which is killing us or hurting us or, or destroying our lives? And then thirdly, there's a collective absolution, which is in the end, how is, how is the group redeemed? Right. Or a group, or God's group, redeemed. So those are the three elements of Christian redemption. And we're going to see, as you kind of work through translating critical theory, that there is a worldview of redemption that comes emerging out of this uh, critical theory. Yeah, we're going to see that, the, as you said, there is an individual redemption. There is actually an original sin mm. kind of built in. They don't necessarily, it's not called that, but there is an individual aspect to redemption. Then there's a there's a, a picture painted of what the future looks like if the collective society and everyone uh, achieves this individual redemption, emerges a collective redemption, it paints a vivid picture of what life would look like. Mm. And then we're going to look at the end about how that kind of, we're going to bounce actually between um, the critical theorist worldview and the Christian worldview to see how they compare and, and how those um, different elements stack up as we describe the counterfeit worldview of so we'll do theory. three elements yeah so we'll do all three we'll do we'll back we'll bounce back and forth between the three of them so what are the sides you know when you think of how would we kind of summarize the two sides right what's the big question for the the worldview of the critical theorist and the worldview of the Christian biblical worldview yeah so the the, the two sides being I think primarily, um, the critical theorists, again, like we said, the world, the, the foundational belief is that there are oppressors and there are people who are oppressed. And that emerges in all sorts of injustice and, um, and, and people at the top are doing everything they can to maintain that power. Um, that includes, um, you know, any manner of things that they can do, whether it be, um, whether it be skin and that kind of parses out with different levels of, of oppression, whether it be skin color, whether it be gender, whether it be, um, socioeconomic status, whether it be nationality, all different ways in which this oppression occurs. Um, and then there is a, but there is a, a, a solution provided to say, if you do these certain things, um, then you can be absolved of that and you can work against it, uh, against that current oppressive state and that's kind of where your redemption lies. Gotcha. So there's a dominant group that's tainted by guilt. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And and the the guilt basically is uh, something they they inherently um, own and possess, and the subordinate groups don't. Correct. Yeah. Yep. yep. So then there's a so then there's another question that um, is basically this. Is the fundamental problem something else like oppression that you just described, or is the fundamental problem sin, right. which you know, which the the scriptures describe as falling short? Uh, uh, I mean, I guess we can, I'm going to explain this later. But the problem of sin, in which case uh, we all equally stand condemned before a holy, just, righteous God. Right. So the question is. Are some people, by nature of their dominant oppressor group and identity, mm-hmm. guilty, and or is everybody guilty? Right, right, yeah, and that would be that's a good way to frame it. In that there are are potentially levels of guilt, I guess, in the critical theorist framework. In that, if you're at the very top, you're the the most guilty of oppressing, and if you're at the bottom. 
you, as we spoke about in the last couple episodes as well, you actually have special access to truth. You have mm-hmm. special access to um, to having your your lived experience accepted as as a reality, um, and you don't have nearly as many things to feel guilty about because you're not in the oppressor group, as opposed to the Christian worldview, like you said, where everyone stands equally guilty uh, and poisoned by um, the original sin. Yeah, and something you said there kind of prompted me a bit, but uh, when you think about the critical theorist's original sin and redemption, one of the things that strikes me as I've been listening and reading and researching is that the evil for the theorist, the critical theorist, is outside you Hmm. the evil is or the wickedness or the or the uh well let's say the sin the sin that you need to be redeemed from is outside of you and that means that you're the victim and and that which is outside of you is the perpetrator or the or the sin right um so again if you're an oppressor you you are the evil you are the sin right and if you're oppressed you're the victim Uh, And what we're going to do is we're going to be forced to choose between critical theory and Christianity in terms of our values, our ethics, our priorities. Uh, Any Bible-believing, gospel-centered, biblical worldview person's got to, I think, process a choice between those two. Yep, and I think think that you make a good point that it's important to remember that um, in the same way, when we think of the depths of and of our depravity of of original sin, and we think, okay, well, I'm actually a pretty. Every, it, it informs everything I do, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, my sinful nature is is shaping everything, the way I live, even ways that I don't understand. Yeah, that I think the the same side on the contemporary critical theorist lens would say, especially for those who are in the oppressor group, who are actually in the top of the pyramid, there is the indication that those people's original sin of, a, of being an oppressor is so ingrained and right. inherent within them that they don't even really understand yeah. how it's informing them and they need members of the oppressed group to bring that truth to right. show them the depths of that quote-unquote depravity almost like the 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 oppressed has to serve as an evangelist to help tell the truth to those who are infected by this right um hegemonic power that they're in just naturally um, kind of affected with or infected with. And, you know, and I think that Christians ought to be able to relate to that, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a fundamental doctrine that we can relate to where everybody is experiencing something that's been tainted just by nature of being human. And what, what the contemporary theorists say is that everybody who's in this oppressed group is experiencing this, whatever it is, privilege or... Um, you know, I guess there's a limitless other uh, things that they would describe. They're experiencing it um, innately and subconsciously, whether it's absorbed, whether it's protected, mm-hmm. whatever, that they yep. can't escape it, basically. So we should understand that as a someone who's coming from the Christian worldview. We should understand yep. what it means to have something stain your view of everything right and to and to view the world through that lens right, right. i mean we we view the world that way and so that's the way they view it. and but this is when we see okay this is actually when we start seeing oh wow this this is emerging as a really a counterfeit worldview right. that is very similar in the fundamental doctrines yeah. yep. of, and dogmatism of a of a specific religious worldview right? for sure so let's get into it original sin yeah the first essential of a uh, redemption um worldview 
Yeah, and so the original sin is that oppression, right? Is 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 which everyone, all of the people who are in the oppressor group are tainted, right? That's the problem. That's why the world is broken. Everyone can perceive that there is a problem, and the reason for that is because the oppressor is oppressing the uh, the people on on the bottom to ensure that their power is maintained. So they're they're unavoidably experiencing some kind of privilege through their education, their class, nationality, or their whatever wherever they were born right exactly and they are they are if you if you go into the critical race theory lane then you're describing things like white privilege where you say well that i mean people don't even understand how that that privilege is being exuded in their in every mm-hmm. their everyday life right? they have no idea how you're even living that out right yeah um and so that is an infection right it's an infection it says well it's the world is broken and the original sin stains primarily the people at the top of the power pyramid, not so much the people at the bottom. Yeah, so it's fundamental right, to being, if you're in the top or you're in that hegemonic power group, right, it's fundamental. It, right. it, uh, it's there whether you like it or not. So, no, so now to compare that and contrast that to the Christian worldview, the Christian worldview has says, again, from cover to cover, that the original sin of the human race is not what group you're in, but it is, I mean, it's kind of described like you're dead to God. You brought this uh, word up earlier. The human uh, is totally depraved. The human without God, right? uh, Pre-God, we'll say, pre-redemption is in rebellion against God's authority, is uh, another way to say it is is living for one's own glory, which is one's own fame, one's own success, one's own um, um, weightiness, significance, uh, attention. Uh, you know, we we have uh, we also see massive uh, sections of the Bible that describe the sin of idolatry, which God calls in the Old Testament spiritual adultery. Uh, all of which, by the way, is inherited from Adam in our human flesh. So what would make you totally depraved? What would make you sinful? What would make you rebel against God is that you have a human heart. Right. That you are a part of the human race inherited by Adam, which means being born of a human being. So, so original sin for the, for the Christian worldview uh, really, I think the biggest distinction is everybody's infected. Right, equally infected. Equally yeah. uh, equally, and, and deeply affected. So much so that total depravity means you're dead to God uh, prior to God's intervention. Right, yeah. Yep, and that's the, again, that is probably the, the chief primary distinction between the original sin of in, in contemporary critical theory being it's kind of distributed pretty heavily at the top of the, power pyramid and reduces as you go down um and then um like you said with the christian worldview it's equally distributed so in contemporary christian theory some people need redemption yeah exactly in our worldview the christian worldview everybody needs redemption everybody's guilty of the original sin yep every single tongue tribe culture gender race um uh yeah every class yep I yeah. think that's a, that's a that's a great way to summarize um, the differences, right? And so there you go. So I mean, that's the need, right? We've established when we talk about what's the original sin, when we talk about redemption, the worldview is well, that's the need, right? Everything is broken, and the reasons it's broken is because there's 
this original sin that is breaking the world. And that's why we can't get to um, this intuitive picture that everyone has in their mind that it's not the way it should be. Yeah. Right. So then the question then becomes, well, how do we get to, <laughs> how do we get to what it should be? And there's two different elements like you described in our, in our intro is that, right, there's an individual element, right? How do I, how do I find redemption or fix myself uh, as an individual? And then how do I fix society collectively? What does mm-hmm. it look like if we actually achieve that, that vision of the future where everything is put back together? And so let's start with the individual personal, personal redemption and see how, does it, how do these two worldviews compare in terms of how I get redeemed yeah. in the individual sense. There's a couple of R words that pop up young with contemporary um, critical theory. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're pastors, so. Yeah, love why the alliteration. Not, yeah, why not throw an alliteration in there, so. Um, so where do you start? If you're a critical theorist, where do you start with personal redemption? Yeah, so if you're, let's say you were at the top, right? You and I were at the top of the pyramid, if we're, if we're looking at the lens, yeah. right? Um, except you grew up in a trailer park. Yeah, so, so you where would like, I be? You might be, well, you're not in a trailer park anymore, so right. you're now, you're all the way at the top. That's my um, social location, you know. That's right, that's right. Uh, so recognize the first one the first thing you and i would have to do what are we going to do we have to first of all we are we are awakened right we allow the truth that that the oppressees have been telling us the reality in which they're living they are if you this is our i'll spend a lot of time in this last episode talking about access to truth we believe what they are telling us about our oppression and the way in which we are living our lives and how we are oppressing oppressing people we recognize our complicity in these systems of oppression uh, our participation in these systems of of oppression um, and we just start by accepting the fact that those things exist and that i have been participating in them both um in, on purpose and a lot of times um, through the my subconscious, right? Just continually because it's so deeply embedded in me. Um, and you might hear, again, if we go to the critical race theory construct, you might hear things like whiteness or right, white privilege. That's an, That would be an example of me saying, yes, I, I, I essentially recognize and I'm, I'm acknowledging that I am, in fact, an oppressor and that this truth that these other people are telling me is, in fact, real and that's reality mm. and i accept it embrace it yeah um and then i move and then that's not that's i can't just that's stay the, there that's the starting point yeah it's the starting point right i gotta recognize it yep uh, our complicity and participation in systems of oppression and then the next one would be uh i'd have to take action on it mm. right so i have to officially renounce these systems and not just verbally renounce them but i have to work to dismantle them right and that's the work of kendi right yes so so the how to be anti-racist that's i mean again uh it's too complex to get into now but essentially and i hope i'm not making it too uh simplifying it too much or or leaving out some of the needed nuance that would that would be important here but i i i mean from what i remember in reading essentially uh, the book is, or the content, the idea is that it's not enough to recognize it. Right. That, in fact, um, you have to actively dismantle and work to undermine the system. Right. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And so, really, I think the word that pops out with this, with the idea of renouncing, it means, it, 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 the word is an advocate. We have to become advocates for 
both the dismantling mm-hmm. of the systems of oppression, but also advocates for the people at the bottom of the pyramid who are being oppressed and advocate for them, um, even at the expense of the people at the top of the privilege. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so, in other words, you can't just you can't just say I'm not an oppressor. Right. Exactly. And that's the, right. You acknowledge it, right. I actively reject it, but then I, you know, I grow my, I start educating myself about my oppression, right. I start learning more about the, the fundamental truths of the reality in which I'm living in. It may, just like you would in any yeah, religious exactly. school, you get the religion, you get the texts and you learn the, you yep. study the papers and the research and, um, and then, right. Then you stand in solidarity with the marginalized people, right. That's mm. the ad, the work of an advocate. Um, right. It shows up in like, we, we could call these even like penitences, right. So yeah. you could, you could tweet about the right causes, right. So you see a lot of social yep. media uh, engagement you join the right protests, you, like the right comments, you support the right candidates based on their like their level of oppression. Um, you're, you there's a myriad of other ways in which you could you can care and care deeply for the marginalized people as an advocate. Yeah, and if you're doing it right, using guilt, shame to condemn or motivate someone towards. Uh, actively renouncing and standing inside solidarity is fair game. Yep, for sure. Exactly. Because it, it becomes, again, it becomes a, um, you're essentially an evangelist, right? You're an evangelist for the truth of which you, these other people just can't see it yet. And if you declare it and even guilt them into it, whatever it takes to get them into that, that acknowledgement and that recognition and renouncement. Right. So I could put it in Christian uh, worldview terms. You have been born again and you're now trying to evangelize, bring the truth to others in hopes that they too would experience an awakening, quote unquote, or being woke, woken up. Yep, and go and advocate and be advocates for the dismantling. Gotcha, okay. Yep, and so, and then so, I mean, you can do, and then there's also actually another level too where um, there's there's actually a level of of compensation for oppressed people for past oppression, mm. right? We, there's a recognition that I'm currently living in this this privileged position, so I'm actually going to, I mean, there's some recommendations say you quit your job or something like that so that someone, an oppressed, marginalized, mm. from a marginalized group can take that job so mm-hmm. provide an opportunity. Or you, you don't accept your university spot so that an, a marginalized person can oh, get okay. access to it because there's this perception that they don't have access to it. Gotcha. Right? Or even the idea in the critical race theory conversation is, is the idea of reparations, mm. right? And do you do you do you pay the traditional reparations where you just pay a lump sum of money to, to people who are from Af- like descendants of African slaves in, in America, or do you have a new a different way of which you you provide reparations where you are just you're providing financial compensation specifically to a marginalized group and you, you hire only those people you give grants to only those people, or that's another way in which these kind of reparations show up. But really all it is, is I'm an advocate. And so I'm compensating them and I'm actively working to, to right the perceived wrongs. Yeah. Yeah. And no matter what amount that comes to the critical uh, race theorists in particular would say, it's not enough. It right. can't possibly compensate for, um, you know, the 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 inherent and intentional racism by which our country was built and stole from all the oppressed right. uh, minority people of color, all the um, all the uh, different uh, areas of intersection. Right. And so, 
we're in the renounce, right? We've recognized that we're renouncing, which means we're advoc we're advocates, mm. right? We are. You can fill in the blank. It's like you're anti whatever, right? Anti racist, anti you know cisgender normativity, right? You're anti patriarch, right? So you're anti. You're just actively working against the current system of oppression to dismantle it and to lift up um, marginalized people um, at the expense of people at the top of the pyramid. Remember again, you mentioned Kendi, and he mentioned he has a pretty famous quote of saying, right, the only solution for past discrimination is current discrimination. The only solution for current discrimination is future discrimination. So mm -hmm. there's built in this idea that discrimination is in fact um, legitimate if it's a discriminatory attitude towards the people at the top of the right, pyramid. Right. And that's part of the essentially the the advocacy and the, the, the individual absolution. Yeah. Yeah, that um, really kind of leads us to uh, what we have discovered in our research, Yon, is um, really constructing. This is all a part of constructing an entire new white identity, which I think, yeah. um, you know, Robin D'Angelo goes into, writes a whole book about right. kind of constructing a new white identity where mm -hmm. you start with white fragility uh, and then it leads you to anti-racism if you do these things. Right. Yep, exactly. And, and that's actually, again, that is a similar, I mean, it's a similar construct to, you know, any any world religion is like well where do I find my identity well there's a transformation that happens mm. where I'm actively working to to change my identity right the very thing that defines me and it is um, that process of redemption um, through those daily acts of penitence through those becoming an advocate becoming an anti fill in the blank right um, and so the goal right is to is really the the pathway to that salvation is to as an oppressor reduce ourselves to put ourselves subjugate ourselves to the marginalized people to the people that we have been mm. oppressing mm. subjugate ourselves to those whom we have participated in oppressing yes yes okay yeah, exactly so so it's like a reversal yeah exactly and so right so there so that's kind of really the individual um redemption plan mm. you work a lot Right. To do yeah. a lot of things. Yes. Right? In the contemporary critical theories, which is obviously vastly different than what the the biblical concept mm. uh, reveals. What what are the differences specifically? Yeah, well, when you t we use words like salvation, redemption, being or needing to be born again, which is something Jesus describes in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus who was dead in his sin and dead in the law and so on. So w that's the phrase that we use when someone is suffering in their original sin, right? They're dead to God. They're living for their own glory. They're living a life of idolatry, uh, spiritual adultery, um, in rebellion to God. And then God offers them redemption, salvation, and it's offered to all humans. And the reason why it's offered to all humans is because all humans need it. Okay. All humans are suffering uh, in their own original sin. And it's also offered to all humans to God, uh, um, by God, because he's gracious. Right. So he, a gracious God, he makes these covenant promises in the Old Testament, then he keeps the covenant promises, which is to not abandon people to their own selves and not to um, strand them and otherwise condemn them without following through on his, on his covenant love and promise to save them. And this salvation, redemption, this um, be, this experience of being born again with a new heart that was originally dead, but then it's replaced with a heart of flesh, it's received by accepting this free gift of salvation that God provides. And by free gift, that's important, right? It's the entire gospel-centered 
um, message that comes out of the Christian faith is that this gift of salvation is free. It's not a reward for the good things we've done, but for the morality. Uh, and man, I've been I've been reading all this deep, these people kind of surfacing lately who are celebrity Christians who are kind of deconstructing their faith. And I just read another one yesterday, Yon, and none of them are rejecting the free gift of salvation by grace through Jesus. Right. None of them, none of them. And the, 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 the one I just listened to, um, even, even recently, it's the same. It is a rejection of all of the experiences surrounding their church, legalism, moralism, behaviorism, condemnation, political, you know, Christian nationalism, Nobody, I've not yet read a deconstructionist who said, you know what, God's gift of salvation, I've, I've just decided to reject it or turn it down. Right. Yeah. Strangely. Yep. So, um, so basically what, ex, re, accepting this free gift of salvation or receiving, we'll talk about this in a second, but basically what it means is accepting the wage that was paid on my behalf. And of course, Jesus pays this wage to atone for human rebellion. Uh, and that and that wage that was paid is a ransom payment, hmm. and that and that wage is death. It was paid by Jesus, and so when someone receives salvation or they accept this free gift, what they're saying is, I am going to accept that this payment of this wage of death has been paid by Jesus hmm. in my place, substitution, right? And, right? and and also the demands that God has on me to live by the law perfectly has been lived by Jesus, and I'm going to accept that his life counts for mine. So his death mm-hmm. counts for mine, his life counts for mine. And the work of the human, Jesus Jesus has this just this earth-shattering, shocking line where he tells his disciples, look, I want you to hear me. This is going to be very, very important. The work that I leave with you, the work I'm giving you is no longer the work to be holy under the law and following the law and moral and, and do good social justice uh, um, causes and so on. The work I give you is simply to believe. Hmm. And this is captured in the Old Testament with Abraham and others who were counted righteous because of their belief. So the work really for the human is to confess sin, right? Mm-hmm. They they see it, and this can only happen when God works in your heart and he opens your eyes to the fact that you're sinful, you're separated from God, you're dead in your rebellion. Then you repent, right? Which means you renounce living for your own self, your own glory in your own rebellion against God. You re- re- renounce that. And then you turn from it and you receive this new life, this this rescuing redeemer Jesus and you believe that his life and his death count for yours Mm -hmm. that's the work that God demands and God accepts so none of that is received for the good things that you do now I think what's important again is this distinction that everybody um, needs this kind of saving faith right everybody um no matter what, again, no matter what tongue, tribe, skin, culture, class, gender, <laughs> everybody is in need because everybody is suffering in the original sin. It's not a particular group, a particular country, a particular color, a particular, you know, creed. It's everyone, the human race. Right. And the solution is provided by God himself, right? It is not, the solution isn't, here's some great, it's good news, it's not good advice, here's some great books. And things you can do to work yourself out of your 
your sin and out and be an advocate and essentially like self-justify by doing mm-hmm. all these things to, to unlike the contemporary critical theorist worldview of saying if you do these things then you're saved as opposed if you subjugate yourself then you're right. saved right the Jesus shows up and says I'll subjugate myself and I will li- give you that perfect gift and yeah. I, I, it's just free yeah I'm above you and you are persecuting me but I'm going to subject myself to death right sin death in the grave right as opposed to <laughs> you're up there Right. You come down here and you have to do it or else you have to elevate me or else you're going to, yeah. you're not saved. And you said something key, I think just a second ago when you said it's God who provides this pathway, right? It's not a set of theologians. It's not a set of philosophers. It's not a set of intellectuals or in, in, in for the purpose of this topic, it's not academics trying to describe right. their human existence. Right. It's the create. In other words, it's not just going to be this theory for a hundred years and then another theory. Right, exactly. And yep. then and then you're going to compare it to the theory from centuries ago. You know, that the Greeks had and the Romans had, and now we've got one in in in, in uh, Europe that's kind of landed in the United States. Instead, what we're saying is this plan for redemption is coming exclusively from the one who created us. And who has named our main problem, which is sin and death, right. and ultimately separation from Him, yep. and then He provides a solution for that. Yep. And and so we can see. I mean, like we said at the beginning, as we go through this, it's pretty clear that there's a. It's a again, contemporary critical theories has some very similar um, points and foundations that you'd find in any kind of world religion, specifically in the Christian world world religion or worldview as well. So. Um, so we've, so that's the individual absolution, the individual redemption, right? How do I, we've identified the problem in the original sin. We've identified how do I absolve myself of that as an individual. Now, what does the worldview say about how does, what does the picture for the future look like? If collectively, if everything is kind of returned, um, back to normal, everyone embraces this worldview and there's collective redemption, what does the world look like? And Specifically, in the, I mean, this is a big, is a big deal in the contemporary critical critical worldview because everything is group dynamics, right? Our identity is primarily informed by the group in which we are a part of, right? So even the, even actually the topic of an individual redemption in the contemporary critical worldview would probably not fly as much, just because the idea that you're an individual isn't really as important. Your identity is more uh, uh, rooted in a group, right? Exactly. exactly. And so. What does it look like if the if the oppressors and the prevailing hegemonic discourse is overturned, um, and they are all awakened and they become advocates? Uh, well, really, a word if advocate is a word for individual redemption, probably the best word for collective um, redemption or group redemption would be the idea of the word of liberation, mm. right? which is the idea that the oppressed, right, at every level of society and in every area of society um, are free. And that includes, I mean, it includes things, if you get really deep into it, into the into their writings, that includes freedom from the nuclear family, the difference between, you know, a child is freed from the oppressive power of the parents. Mm. Um, it includes, obviously, all those levels of oppression, that's intersectionality that we discussed. Um, right. So all women would have to be free from their uh, their 
husband's oppression, right? Especially so if, if he's a white. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Free from the patriarchy. Free from all of these different. You know, the the cisgender normativity would go away, and um, so there's this liberation, right? The oppressed at every level, hmm. right? They're they're liberated from the cultural dominance, right? Of their oppressor, right? So again, if we go back to Marxism, he talked about politically, right? There's right. freedom in the political process, but culturally, they are free from their oppressors in every area, right? Um, and really, I mean. I mean, if you if you really dig into it, I mean, it it really it kind of means liberation from what we would consider the liberal order or like enlightenment rationalism or capitalism. Really, I mean, that's one of the areas. If you really get down into it, which is probably why lots of people are always talking about you're a cultural Marxist. I mean, they think that yeah. label's being thrown around. But um, the I mean, you you can kind of see this through history and kind of over the last couple of decades and you can see I mean if you if you've let's say you went down to South America right there's always or you're in Africa and there's always a freedom fighting right what's the name of the freedom fighters it's always something liberation, liberation. front right yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, exactly um, and that's just right the idea that you're just everyone is essentially a liber everyone is just seeking liberty that total mm. freedom from dominance and really um, enlightened rationalism and capitalism are, are some of the chief prognosticator prognostic Prognosticators. Prognosticators, that's the word. Um, in maintaining these systems of oppression. Yeah. So. And so the systems of oppression uh, that would be familiar to us would be capitalism, nuclear family, um, uh, individualism. Right. The patriarchy. Yeah. And really, the and I think one of the, the things of the picture of the future Right. If everyone is liberated, if this actually occurs, one of the chief ways in which it would mark this liberation of this group redemption is the idea of equity. Mm, yeah, right? I mean, that's a huge word. Exactly. And so most of the times, most that the the current dialogue around capitalism and individualism and, and like rationalism is 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 equality. Right. Is like equality of opportunity would right. be the primary way that people view things. But in this framework and the contemporary critical uh, theorist framework, it is really what's it marked by? It's marked by equity, which means everyone has the same outcome mm-hmm. and that everyone is exactly the same right. in terms of what they have, what they don't have, their the quote unquote privileges. And, um, and that's wow. really the marker. Yes. That's such a subtle difference, but, but obviously has massive implications. The difference between uh, equal and equitable, right? Right. Or equality and equity. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. So and it's, it's worth studying. By the way, if you're listening and that word resonates with you because you've heard it so many times, it's worth studying. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it really, it seems like it's a couple words, a couple letters in the word that's different, but it's a, it's a, it's a radical difference in the way that would, the world is viewed in terms of what the world should look like. Right. right. Yeah. It also strikes me, Yon, that the word liberation has an entire branch of uh, the theological world that has kind of adorned itself with liberation as the purpose for God's intervention in the human race. And so, so liberation theology would be this idea that God's primary purpose in intervening in the human race is to free those who are being oppressed right yep and that his ultimate goal and his ultimate 
uh, vision for humanity in, in his ultimate redemption would be to send Jesus to free those who are on the margins who are being oppressed by all these things we just said, the, right. uh, the capitalism and individualism and patriarchy and, and um, all those other categories. Um, so, or all these other isms really. Yeah. And so liberation theology starts with the original sin of oppression Yep. And that Jesus's redeeming salvation uh, power is is exclusively applied to bring liberation to those who are captive or those right. who are. Uh, um, yep. So so that is actually an entire branch of theology that is perfectly you know married together the biblical worldview with uh, critical yep. theory. Yep, and it, I mean it. It's a big, it's a big tent that, again, because critical theory is a big tent, but it, it liber, liberation theology comes off of, right, the contemporary critical theorists, um, and then underneath liberation theology then becomes, there's black liberation theology, mm-hmm. right? Liberation theology emerged kind of in South America with the Catholic Church, and then James H. Cohen and like Union Seminary is a big one in terms of over at, at black liberation theology. So you can see, I mean, as you, as you point out, it's like it thinks this idea of liberation kind of filters down into all these different groups yeah. of people who are oppressed um, and kind of informs even the fundamental perception of why, what is the prevailing story of the Bible? And right. What is God's primary purpose in engaging humanity? And yeah. that is to liberate people as, as evidenced by, his work in the Exodus with the people of Israel. So yep. It's a, it's just a, you can see how it changes the way you just, you view really some foundational mm-hmm. fundamental tenets of Christendom that have been around for, since its inception. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, it also explains why when you come across a liberation theologian or someone who has been, who is basically, advocating liberation theology it sounds like a highly motivated compassionate uh gospel christian right Uh, it sounds the same right but they don't believe that we need to be redeemed from the same thing they believe they believe that uh we have to be redeemed from something different than a fundamental um right biblical worldview christian would would see and and collectively when you think about the collective redemption of the the biblical worldview, uh, it's really going to. It's already started in that God has broken in with His kingdom. The Holy Spirit is is here and is alive and well and animating and and leading and you know kind of sanctifying believers, uh, also setting them apart as His church to represent Him well to be winsome. Uh, to be his ambassadors and and really to start advancing his kingdom here on earth already, but it's not yet finished. It's going to be um, uh, completed. Renewal uh, restoration is going to be completed in its fullest at the end. And by the end, of course, I mean when there's a there's a final uh, the physical earth passes away and the those who are joined to Jesus by faith, it's a work that the Holy Spirit does, those who are born again, uh, they have now access, or we're going to call it, they are heirs. They are heirs in God's family, heirs with Jesus. 
um, and it'll be marked by an eternity of healing and joy, uh, this inheritance, the, the riches of Jesus and sharing in his glory. Um, and it's going to be corporately enjoyed by his bride. Uh, if he's the groom, the church is his bride, mm-hmm. real, true believers. And uh, those people, again, they're joined to Jesus by faith. Uh, they belong to Jesus by faith. Uh, not by what church they go to, what color they are, how good they act, how moral and upright they are, who they voted for, you know. (laughs) Um, And this, of course, is all something that's promised after physical death. And there's even this picture that God describes of this this marriage supper of the Lamb where it's all true believers that are enjoying a feast of celebration in the end. And, and, uh, And really, it's kind of rooted in this idea that the physical earth is only a limited time and a limited experience for the humans mm-hmm. that really our real hope and joy is in what's to come. Right. It helps us overcome suffering and so on. So there's this collective redemption as all true believers inherit or be, or are um, invited in and granted uh, um, the same rights and privileges as if they were an heir right. of yeah. God. Right. And that's a, I mean, that's a, ironically, the irony is, is that there's equity in there, right? Everyone has the same outcome, but it's really primarily because of the work of of, of God as opposed to our own individual merit. I never even thought about that. Our fundamental faith, you know, is the most equitable. That's right. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, I mean, you can, again, the, one of the unique things is when you think of, well, what does, right, in the Christian faith, you think of, okay, well, there you have an eschatology, right? And there's like, okay, there's there's built in there, there's like this judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Generally, people think of, and as believers, we can say, you know what, we're, we're okay, right? Because because we got Jesus, right? Um, but even in the contemporary critical world, there is kind of this, if you listen to the, to the, they have this bit of an eschatological viewpoint in that they continually kind of say things like, you don't want to be in the wrong side of history, right? Mm. Which is kind of this perception of what does judgment look like? Yeah. Well, it looks like future generations looking back and saying, were these people on the quote unquote right side of history when it comes to the level of injustice they were perpetrating or their advocacy for the, um, because there is such a looking back now and saying, how could they possibly, right? There's not a very, there's not a very high view of progress as opposed to there's a, there's a right and a wrong as opposed to a, a spectrum of kind of moving towards That's something. That's so fascinating. So, I never yeah. even thought of that. That's so fascinating. Yeah. So it's a, again, so again, we, we kind of work through original sin, right? The, the world's broken. Why is it broken? And then we work through individual redemption. How can I as an individual find redemption in this broken world? And then how, what does it look like to get, gain collective redemption, right? Yeah, and, and by the way, when God offers or points out the solidarity of the human race, we certainly don't share equitable opportunity or equal opportunity, equitable outcomes. We certainly don't share that, right? In, on a global scale, we don't. But right. what... What provides solidarity for the human race, according to the Christian worldview, is that all humans are made in God's image. All of them are fallen and broken. Their hearts are broken and separated from God by their own sin. And uh, for that, that all people come to salvation, redemption, uh, come to become a Christian through Jesus. Right. And there's solidarity in that globally. Every Again, every tongue, tribe, nation, every... Um, Every culture, 
Yeah, and if you talk to a lot of missionaries who go to places that are would be considered unreached, the the their goal of equality would be an equality of opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus, right? right? Because as long, as long as they hear that, right, no other equality really matters, or really no equ- no human equity ultimately matters in in the long run uh, for eternity. That do I have an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus, respond to it, and then, um, you know, enter into like you said, being adopted member of his family and and live in eternity in his presence. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Is there three little elements you can kind of see now when you look on the back, listen on the back end? Okay, there's there's some pretty strong correlations between a a religious worldview and the worldview of the contemporary critical theorists, especially when it comes to how we solve what is wrong with the world and um, individually and collectively. But um, what are some? I know that we usually talk about well, how do we transform this? What are some ways in which yeah. we as as believers can kind of approach this in the fact that there are, you know, there's people and large groups of people and, and a culture that's kind of embracing this or, or looking at the world through this. What are some ways we can transform Yeah, well, it? Um, let me start with the Christian worldview, which doesn't categorize people in terms of oppressor and oppressed. There is two categories, but those aren't the categories. The, the categories in the Christian worldview uh, are in terms of those who are in Jesus and those who are outside of Jesus. Those who belong to Jesus, those who don't belong to Jesus. Um, and so that is essential. <laughs> I mean, that's fundamental to understanding the difference between the two. Sure. There are categories, but they're not the, um, they're not the same categories. So uh, when you see the world in terms of those two categories of identity, you're just departed from the way that the Bible describes or the way that the God gives us through the Bible, his view of the two categories in Christ or not in Christ, joined to Christ or not joined in Christ. Right. Um, so, uh, and, and, and I think it's, it's vital to recognize that along with this, sin cannot be reduced to oppression. Hmm. It's too small. Sure. It is one of the symptoms. Uh, it can't be, uh, sin cannot be reduced to uh, the word harm, particularly as critical theory defines this kind of concept of sin. But Jesus speaks against many sins. He identifies idolatry, sexual immorality, that means envy and arrogance, the seven deadly sins, and um, which none of them are a form of oppression. In fact, one in some cases, sexual immorality as described is as a sin against your own body Hmm. right yeah so completely separate from sinning against someone else now all sin is a sin against god and some of the some of that time the byproduct of that of course is sinning against other people but ultimately and, and and essentially all sin is against god alone so when you kind of categorize all humans with a hyper focus on um oppression, you're going to come up with a hyper-focus on two groups, the powerful versus the powerless. Um, And critical contemporary theory undermines any real appeal to the reality of total depravity of all humans. You have to separate some who are innocently oppressed. Uh, And so the gospel should color our view of critical theory in what may seem to be in a surprising way in this phenomenal (laughs) parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And Jesus tells the story about a tax collector and the tax collector, by the way, are collaborating with the Romans. So uh, in, in, in these instances, they're Jews who are, 
let's say they're in Jerusalem, right? Um, and they're collaborating with the oppressor, right. who are the Romans. And they've made their fortune by extorting money from those who were under them, right. from the Jews. Uh, and they've done so on, on behalf of this oppressive foreign imperial power that was basically imperialistic, right? They're pursuing conquest of the Jews, cultural domination. They're murdering and persecuting. And understandably, uh, Jesus tells the story about this, these, these two, um, individuals, these two characters in his parable. And one is a tax collector and one's a Pharisee. The Pharisee is a, is a religious leader, a religious teacher who basically own and run the temples and they, uh, kind of meet out the the rules and regulations of right. the of Judaism. So, so there's these two characters, the Pharisee, and there's the tax collector. And when he's telling the story, he says that the Pharisee is in prayer. Both of them are praying, and the Pharisee thanks God that he's not like this tax collector. So the so the so called Christian, the so called um, the righteous man one. of God, right, right? The righteous one is looking at the tax collector, and he's basically saying, God, thanks that I'm not. A crummy um, uh, oppressor right. like this, like this tax collector, and yet at the end of the parable, um, it's the greedy, treasonous ally of the oppressor who is saved. It is the tax collector who can't even look up to heaven when he prays. He he starts to sense the guilt of his own sin, the shame of his own um, depravity, and. Uh, the scripture says he isn't even able to lift up his eyes to heaven. Instead, he kind of beats on his own chest and says, uh, in full confession, he he is admitting and, and humbly admitting that his his own sin before God. And Jesus, at the end of the story, right, the Pharisee says, "Thank you that I'm not like this uh, um, this turd over here," and the um, tax collector says, "I I can't even lift my head to look to heaven." And the tax collector, by the way, let me repeat, the tax collector is um, is collaborating with right. the oppressor. He's not an IRS agent. He's a he's a pretty big scumbag. Right yeah, now, so. yeah, totally. <laughs> so, um, so this realization should be alarming to anyone who feels secure in their own moral goodness. Uh, so let me repeat. Jesus said that the one who was justified is the oppressor or the tax collector, uh, the one who is really... Uh, um, kind of linked up with this um, ultimate oppressor. And one of the things you'll notice is that it, it, if you rest your security, your, if you justify yourself in your own moral goodness, right? And this is, this is true for a secularist, right? Their sense of their own moral goodness can be built on just being woke. They are now liberated, uh, or, or even they see themselves as a patriot, right? So their moral goodness, they're saving their country, or they're saving those who are oppressed, or uh, those who are, are, are held captive in some way, shape, or form. The secular sense of his own moral goodness can be just as much as the religious person's sense of their own moral goodness built on their own religious piety. Yet both pathways, according to the gospel, and are dead ends. Uh, both of them, when it comes to justifying their self and justifying their soul, end in separation from God. So that includes our religious performance. That can't save us. 
our social justice performance, our all the work that we do to throw ourselves into being an anti-racist can't save us. Our love for the poor can't save us. Now, by the way, all, this is important. Right. These yeah. are the. This is the fruit of mm-hmm. uh, the being saved by God. Right. We're 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 um, we're saved um, by God for these things, not from these things. Right. So. Uh, and we can dismantle our unjust societal systems that can't save us. Our solidarity with the oppressed, or 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 that can't save us. Jesus alone can save us. And when He does, we reject any worldview that categorizes a certain race, gender, class of people as innocent. We we reject categorizing any race, class, or gender as justified or righteous. So for those who've embraced critical theory as a philosophy of life, Yon either subconsciously or overtly, um, it becomes a pseudo-religion. Right. And uh, when embracing critical theory, it deceives the conscious into thinking that we can attain or have attained moral goodness and virtue. Because, by the way, there's a collective group of academics who said this is righteous right. and this is unrighteous. And if you live righteously, you basically you, you experience this redemption that we talked about at the beginning. Right. So... When you embrace critical theory, it deceives the conscious into thinking that you can attain this. And if you just put your put put enough effort into social justice, uh, moreover, I'm thinking critical theory's appropriate concern for justice, which reflects, of course, the image of God, and um, justice reflects our our being created in God's image. It it completely falls on its face. It falls short by being exclusively focused on the symptoms of sin instead of the root cause, which, of course, we've, we've, we've described as a broken heart of every human. So, so therefore, it's, 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 it's completely insufficient in showing us how to fix what's broken and heal who's injured or oppressed in our culture. So don't forget, you've got this proudly secular progressive embraces critical theory. You've got this unregenerated religious person, and Jesus says that none of their effort, none of their moral living, none of their social justice efforts, none of their uh, serving the poor can save them. Um, Both think that they can achieve moral righteousness through their own effort, and they can't, according to the gospel worldview. Um, We're all desperately uh, failing morally in relation to this perfect ultimate standards that God's given us to love others and, and be um, righteous. So we, I guess it kind of, I'm compelled, Yon, to kind of urge all people that, those of you who are listening, all all people that Jesus himself dis- declared who he had come to redeem, he didn't cl- come to redeem the healthy, the wealthy, the victimized, the oppressed, the, uh, a certain color, a certain tribe, a certain nation, uh, but instead, he came to save the sick, those who see themselves as they actually are, as we all are, really, desperate, broken sinners in need of a Savior. And that's the message that Jesus preached 2,000 years ago, and that's the message that we must share today, that our redemption—by the way, let me, I think it's critical to say this. Once you belong to Jesus, all the things that the critical theorists are trying to accomplish, you do naturally and right. normally— with the power of God and his infilling of his spirit, right. you do it out of love. Right. You you are compelled to do this. We'll probably talk more about this uh, in our next episode here. Like, what is the outcome here, right? right. 
Um, but I'm not trying to say, and I hope you've listened long enough to get to this point here, point here. I'm not trying to say that you should give up. If you belong to Jesus, uh, if you are in, in sharing the Christian worldview and living that out, you should give up on social justice. Right. You should give up on, on, on um, caring for the sick, the marginalized, or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if it's a religion, critical theory, mm-hmm. the way that you are saved is by your moral right. effort. Yep. If you belong to Jesus... That's not the primary way that you um, find yourself redeemed right. by God. Yep. And uh, I think that it's important to recognize that, that there's a tax collector in every one of us, right? Kind of collaborating with the oppressive forces in the world right. in some way. Yep. And we are justified by our humble repentance like he was. Yep. I think it's, I think one of the things that helps reframe the way. I approach this is when I look at it and I think, okay, well, if when I the thing when we reframe it as a religious worldview, it helps me think of okay, well, it's not it's not that they are atheists who are hyper relativists and they're they don't have a belief system, right? They have actually a very specific belief system, and right. it's actually if you read some of their <laughs> their writers, it's actually in, adopted from Christianity mm-hmm. and then saying. Oh, we'll just forget about the God part, but we'll right. take that moral paradigm, right? Again, we talk about why oppression's bad, right? Well, yeah. Of course, it's bad, right? But, um, but if we if we start there and say, well, I actually they have a moral framework and I have a moral framework, and then the question then becomes, well, what worldview is more satisfying, mm-hmm. existentially more satisfying, right? Is it I have to work myself into all of these? Diff- I have to do all of this work to save myself, or the good news of Jesus saying? You don't have to do it all. And like you said, and once Jesus, God himself is working towards the future that everyone is kind of aiming for, right? The restoration of all things, total equality. The fact that, I mean, the, and it really goes down to the idea of how are we being winsome, right? Are we just, are we just saying, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, as opposed to saying our worldview is significantly more compelling. It has the same essential starting point of almost saying like there's the world's broken, but the solution, the redemption individually and collectively is significantly more compelling because it actually achieves the stuff that they want. Yeah, and if we and if we live this out, the outcomes are better. Right. Yeah. Right. If we and that's the problem. See, the idea that we know and we're certain that Jesus has done all the work, it leads us in a to to apathy to do none of the work. Right. Yeah. Right. So Jesus does all the work to save us, and then he says, in the same way that the Father has sent me, I now send you. Make disciples. And, and when you belong to me, by the way, Jesus separates sheep from the goats, and he knows who are his based on who they love, who they serve, and the way in which um, they um, care for, we did this in our immigration episode, the way that they care for those who are suffering. Right. That's yeah. how you, that's how he the knows who belongs. Exactly. Yeah. That's how he knows who belongs to him. So because Jesus did all the work to save you does not mean that Christians do none of the work to help bring God's kingdom alive right. and advance it in the world. And that's really where we struggle is as a, as a in, in our Christian worldview to see us kind of say, and this is the this is one of the the pitfalls here in what we're doing, is that someone listens and says, listen to these two Christians say, um, if you're sold out for social justice and if you're sold out for equity and equality, then uh, 
you're you're kind of living another religion, right? Right. You've abandoned yeah. your faith, and what we're saying is um, that if that is your primary fundamental worldview, um, it's a dead end. Right. And to just it's, be aware of what are the foundational underpinnings of this worldview right. for the for for all the talk about the the primary advocates for a certain way of living they view the world in a radically different way than the bible the reality in which the bible describes right uh, and that includes again to sum it all up the idea of how do we actually f- achieve redemption how do we yeah. fix individually what's broken inside of me and collectively what's broken societally culturally so well so, said, well said, Jung. Yeah, so, I mean, it only took an hour and seven minutes, so if you're still with us, um, write Dan an email and he'll give you a million bucks. Uh, <laughs> It'll be a credit that's voucher. Right. That's right. Um, so, we're on the personal preferences, and let's say, for example, you were discriminated against as a member of the highest echelon of oppressed groups, and they actually cast you out to a desert island Ooh. you had a but they were very empathetic and they said um, we're going to give you access to the whole genre of entertainment in a specific universe mm. whether well, we want to know which one you would take this is getting good you whether is it the Star Trek universe you get access to all everything that's Star Trek so you're talking about the, f- the, the, the films no you get a- everything you everything do you want to do everything the oh. whole universe you can do you the mean films the shows figures? Well, I wasn't thinking about action figures. I thought I was, you were talking about oh. the, the merch, like the lunch pail, like a Star Trek lunch pail. You're talking about Enter- entertaining entertainment. Yourself. Yeah, okay. I mean, All like right. Star Trek would be. I mean, they have books, I suppose, and TV shows gotcha. and movies okay. and even comics, right? Star Trek, Star Wars, the Marvel universe, and maybe if you wanted to do the DC universe, you could do that. But yeah. you know, you're I mean, slumming it. Yeah. No. No one cares about DC. Uh, or Lord of the Rings, which we threw. That's a wild card. But it kind of is. Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel, Lord of the Rings. Think so, about this, dear So which listener. one, which which source of entertainment would you take with you? Yep, you're stuck on an island. Okay. You do have access to a TV and an Apple TV with only this specific universe and maybe the comic books, whatever it is. You know, Which one would do, do you get access to? I'm really to? disappointed in myself. I'm already feeling a sense of... Shame, and guilt for my answer. Oh man, it's a tough trick because I mean I there mean, are different elements, right? I mean, like Star Trek, there's a the quantity of shows of episodes. Yeah, yeah. spend a lot of time. There's movies. Star Wars. I mean, like there's not as many like shows, but there's probably there's a lot of good books. Yeah, you know, Marvel is just like endless comic books you can read even though there's some good movies too but lord of the rings you could just read that oh spend God. your entire life reading right <laughs> the hobbit and the lord of the rings yo and i'm really struggling because what comes to my mind instinctively is really surprising to me um but i think it has to do with what is most recent i know it's not star wars no no i know it's not star wars I started with Star Wars when I was a child when that first episode, not the first episode, whatever it's called. Episode four? Uh, yes, I, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. When, that, when that was released in the theater, I saw it. Jeez. And, and so I've been with Star Wars from the beginning. I've seen all of the movies. Um, 
but I find myself as a spectator. I'm, this is taking way too long. This is taking my my part's taking way too long. Just I'm nice. surprised. I'm surprised. <laughs> my wife is a is a Star Trek fan. I love some of the more recent Star Trek movies. Uh, Star Wars did not. I mean, for those of you who love Star Wars, I love you, but I don't love your Star Wars. I like it. I don't love it. And Lord Please of the Rings. Please don't stop is, listening. Lord, <laughs> Lord, Lord of the Rings is epic, but I've got to I've got to rewatch and reread all that stuff because I got a bad start re-read. on it. Reread. <laughs> yeah, don't pretend yeah. you read. This. <laughs> <laughs> I have the books in my house. Yeah, my my family reads. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say it would be Marvel because it's the most recent and recently the most entertainment, but. I would probably say the most value, the most meaning would come out of the Lord of the Rings for me. But uh, in terms of entertaining, I would. Uh, I just saw. Um, I just saw the Black Widow. Found the compelling backstories and twists in the in the in the plot relationally really compelling. I would say Marvel. Yeah, you spent a lot of time justifying that and telling it well I told why you, would i pick uh, these other ones let me tell you uh, why i would no, pick them and we, so that you'd respect me so. i know <laughs> and i haven't really done that with these personal preferences in the past i yeah. just said bam it's gonna be yeah. uh, homemade hard ice cream right i honestly there's a there's a there's Do you know a, why though i mean i started at the, i started by saying i i had this guilt and shame creep in instantly yeah. and so now i'm justifying yeah. myself do you understand where i'm coming from i do you uh, are yes you are becoming I'm embarrassed yeah. i'm embarrassed i mean there is a wild card in that if I were to project, let's say you could keep the trajectory of these four different universes, like as they go forward in yeah. the future, right? I think Star Trek, okay, it's Star Trek. Yeah, I think it's okay, right? They got some good movies recently. Star Wars, I mean, good Lord. I love Star Wars, but I that last movie was a, Uh-oh. it made me so viscerally angry. Oh, no. oh, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. If you liked it, fine, whatever. Keep listening. <laughs> But I like the trajectory when I think of, okay, where's the Star Wars universe going based on that last film alone? Or the last two. I was like, okay. Rogue One, they had me. Right, anyways, Marvel. The trajectory is pretty great. I mean, yeah. I feel like it's almost an endless trajectory of great stories and yeah. great opportunities. And I was a comic book nerd when I grew up, so mm. I was a Marvel kid. But And I love Lord of the Rings, but, I mean, Tolkien's dead, so he's not writing any more, any more books. So. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. Marvel's... Marvel's See, a bad pick. I am going to take some serious um, jabs from my kids, who are Marvel fanatics, yeah. and they're going to be like, "Dad, seriously? I mean, are you? Who are you trying to kid that you're a Marvel fan?" And yeah, I enjoy. You haven't even seen them all in consecutive yeah. order, in, <laughs> exactly. within one month period. Exactly. I enjoy them all. Some of it I find, uh, like f- superheroes that are fist fighting, I just find incredibly uh, mind numbing, um, but. Lord of the Rings, I got to start again. I'm going to, Yon, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to suspend my answer until I'm done reading, watching Lord of the Rings. Okay, so this is episode 12. Come back, episode 112. We will revisit this but in I already, four years. I, I already know there's most of our audience is no longer still listening. Yeah, exactly. So, so you probably turned us off and you're watching a Marvel movie right now. <laughs> Very wise. But if you haven't, thanks for sticking with us. Um, we're going to keep talking for 25 more seconds just so we can get to the full-on hour and 15 minutes. I like it. Or not. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Go and... Uh, Have a great day.
Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.